This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode 806, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you who are washing their hands, they're wearing their masks, they're getting vaccinated, they're getting boosters if they can, drinking water, exercise, stretching. Don't forget stretching. Stretching is, stre- you know what, that's good. That's very true. I, and I, I, you know what, I am lax. I'm not going to lie to you. I fanboy pick a week episode 106 806 806 6 I did the script and I saw I wrote the 6 and I was like it's been 6 weeks since we did that long show I'm pretty six. sure that was Thursday My name is Connor Kilpatrick this is my co-host the unbelievably unbelievably <laughs> That's my rap name unbelievably I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to get that that going I'm trying to get it started as a word. <laughs> Josh Flanagan. Make it a thing. Unbelievably. He's unbelievably. We are iFanboy. And we're getting close to the end of the year. And you can hear it. Every week we read a bunch of comics. And one of us picks the one they like the best. Call that the pick of the week. We talk about that. But we talk about other books. We talk about the patron pick. We try to do some email. We make a concerted effort to do so. And we have some fun along the way. Here's your spoiler warning. It's a blanket spoiler warning for everything we talk about in the show. So use some caution and the show notes. This week, Josh, you had the pick. I like that you had like a little moment of justifying your guilt over email. It was a blip. It was like, listen, we try our best. And we move on. I was like, I don't know if anyone else noticed that. But obviously, Connor's concerned we're not getting the emails enough. And I, yeah, I'm going to tell you right now, there's not a lot of books on the script. I can't promise that that's going to be a thing, though. Right. I have a lot of thoughts. Mm. I have many thoughts. On? Weird, of comic books, which is appropriate because oh, this is good. exactly the time. Yeah. That's what we do here. So pick of the week this week is Robin and Batman number one by Jeff Lemire and Dustin Gwynn with letters by Steve Wands. What was your level of surprise at that? Very high. Very high. Very I high. mean, not like a 10 out of 10, but it was probably like an 8. Okay. So I read my books this week. I don't think there were a lot of them. And it was a fairly trouble-free reading experience. And I had nothing. Mm-hmm. I had no front runners. I had to do the thing. And the next book that we're going to talk about, What's the Furthest Place from Here? That's a spoiler, I suppose, for the show itself. I was like, well, I really liked that book. And it's new, so mm-hmm. that would make a good pick. But it was kind of what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about Robin and Batman, which I saw it and I thought, eh. I said it was just it was Jeff Lemire and Dustin Quinn. I went, All right, I'll read it, you know. Mm-hmm. And probably part of the way into it, I found myself pretty compelled and i believe that the reason was of course it was well done those are very experienced and gifted creators and they've worked together in several books yeah but i think the other thing was that so what you've got here is a robin origin story a dick grayson origin story and it is a version of it that did not feel familiar to me when we talk about dick grayson we talk about this happy-go-lucky self-assured kid Mm -hmm. you know and all of the times that they go back to the Robin story where the, the you know there's conflict and there's the kid trying to prove himself doing dumb stuff, it's usually the other Robins. You know, like, mm-hmm. it, like, Rob, like Dick Grayson is often like, he had his shit together and he taught Batman a thing or two. And you can tell me if I'm wrong about this because I'm sure that lots of versions... We did do the uh, Robin Year One book last yeah. year for Pick of the Week and he did fuck up and almost die and kill Batman. 
Yeah. But this was a unique version of it, I thought. I thought the yeah. voice of it was interesting. I thought it dealt with, you know, like the trauma of his parents dying. You know, and I know that that's, that makes him the opposite of Batman, that he deals with it in a different way. Yep. But for whatever reason, I was really, uh, I was drawn into it. And I, and I had not expected to be. And so I think that's where we got here. And I, and I, I got to the end and I was like, oh, I really want to know what's going to happen next. And if you can... I don't know about surprise me, but if you can hook me with something that is incredibly tired and I've read a thousand times over, you know, from a writer who I like a lot, but he's hit or miss with me, Jeff Lemire, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's not even like sometimes it's bad. Sometimes I'm not interested. I just found myself surprised. Right. I liked it. I basically like I just enjoyed a story that I had not expected to. And they, they managed to put something into it. They managed to find some little angle that made it work for me. And I, it was beautiful, too. I mean, I, I th- I've always liked Dustin Gwynn. I've liked him since he was on Wildcats with Joe Casey a thousand years ago. Yeah. I don't always like the projects that he chooses, but he doesn't look like anybody else. You know, I really liked the way that the villains were handled in this. Mm-hmm. I like this version of Killer Croc, for example. Also, I'm a huge fan of when Batman calls Killer Croc by his first name. He does that with a bunch of the villains, and those it's are my favorite. No, you know what? I don't look at it that way. I look at that as sometimes it's dismissive, but sometimes he's trying to like with him. He's like trying to like connect with a human in there. He does it with Clayface. Yeah. He does it with you know Man Bat. You know he's like, hey, yeah. you're, what's his name? Nolan, I think. Waylon. Waylon. Yes. I just I I love that. It's one of those workaday things. You know, like when mm-hmm. the cops and the robbers kind of know each other. Right. That's what it feels like to me. And and I don't know, just this version, this depiction of dick grayson sort of his size and scope like he's a kid in this and it's all age and place appropriate i think and again you know one more thing you know there's a lot of first person narration here and while it was a little mature it wasn't out of the realm of sort of possibility and uh yeah i mean it's a little bit a little yeah but he's a really smart and gifted kid so you can you can do that or maybe he's looking back at it you know I, i i don't know i also like the version of batman here you know, he's got a little little five o'clock shadow. He's a little angry. I think well, part of it is is that it just rooted everything in the real world a little more than we've been getting with Batman, if that makes sense. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what the secret sauce is. Yeah, the interesting thing here is it it's not one of those like retro modern books, mm-hmm. but it also feels very timeless. Like it doesn't it could yeah. appear in any, any era. Yeah, which I guess is retro modern, but it doesn't. You know, there aren't guys like walking around with Tommy guns and fedoras, but also. It could have taken place 20 years ago, and that would make sense. Yeah. I like that timeless aspect of it. And as you said, the Dustin Gwynn art is beautiful. It's like this fully realized watercolor environment all the time. Yeah. And it just looks gorgeous. And it, it also, as you said, it plays with the very familiar elements of the Batman-Robin story. You know, there's some minor twists here and there. You know, this the, the overall idea is that Dick has reached the end of his training period, and he's anxious to get out on the streets. But Batman is clearly not convinced and worried which I think well, partially that, is why he's so angry. Things. And I think that this is where this whole talk, this whole conversation is me trying to get to the root of what the thing is. And I, I think it's that neither of them are wrong. Right. Robin feels like he's ready to move forward, and he probably is, but he has doubts, and he isn't quite ready because he's not going to be ever. Batman is worried, so he holds him back longer, but he also kind of knows it's time to let him go. And you can tell that because there's a bit where, you know, Robin makes his costume up, and then uh, Batman, who had seemed completely against it and resolute, and he, we've seen this from this character a thousand times, you know, like, no, and I've said it. And then, you know, the person breaks the rule, and they go out and do it, and then he gets mad at them. But in this, he went and he made him a costume. He changed right. his mind. 
And maybe that's part of it. That's one of those little things that isn't what's normally done. It's 5% more human than it usually is, and I think that made it work. Yeah, and he's clearly conflicted. Mm -hmm. The the place that Batman's in right now, I assume it's evidenced by the 5 o'clock shadow and evidenced by the fact that he's a little rougher with verbally with Dick is that he hasn't had Robin yet to, to chill him out. You know, so he's still a little frustrated and angry and worried. And while this seems like a good idea, he's not 100% convinced he should have a partner at all. And so he keeps moving the goalposts on Robin in terms of training and the tests he has to pass and all that stuff. So that's happening. But then, you know, one of the missions is Killer Croc. And at this point, Dick has gotten so frustrated, he's made himself the, a version of the classic Robin costume, but, but with pants. And he goes out on his own. And Killer Croc is like, uh... Where did you get this costume? I've seen this costume before. So this is the mm-hmm. twist on the story is that Killer Croc was the crocodile man in the Haley Circus while the Graysons were there. So now he recognizes the costume because Dick bases it off of his parents' costume, which was sometimes done in, in Robin Cannon, sometimes not done in Robin mm-hmm. Cannon. It's always been based on a circus costume. Sure. That's always wearing a tunic over a unitard. And that's why he could get away with boy panties in the past, but can't now. There's a twist there. That traditionally speaking, at least for a long time, the Dick Grayson story began with Two-Face. And that was, at least that was the Chuck Dixon era. And now they're sort of making Killer Croc the original Robin villain, I guess, which is fine. You can play with all the stuff. Overall, what did you think of this? I liked it a lot. I thought yeah. it was terrific. Okay. You know, and not just because I love Batman and Robin, but I thought this was a really well done comic, as you, for all the reasons you said. It was interesting psychological stuff going on here, interesting father-son dynamics, even if they don't realize that's what their relationship is yet, you know? Mm-hmm beautifully drawn and you know for the same reasons you were not super excited like jeff lemire and justin Gwynn have been doing these sci-fi books at image for years that i just haven't been into mm-hmm. you know they've been ascender yeah. and then descender <laughs> i tried and, oh, them both then they went down <laughs> and uh, or the other way around i don't remember which or they came out in but you know i wasn't super into them but i know these guys clearly like working with each other and mm-hmm. i like jeff lemire a lot he's sort of having a renaissance and he's clearly tuned into dc the evidence of his black hammer work which mm-hmm. is just dc stuff he took a thing that should have been tired and he and he lent something to it and mm-hmm. you know 10 12 years into his career more than that maybe probably yeah more yeah more you know than that. and that's not nothing either so yeah because a little conflict it wasn't like it wasn't a blow you away thing it was like wow that's, that's really well done and that's great you know that that makes me happy it's a really great complete package. Mm-hmm. Just a, it was a really well done comic. It's oversized. It's like forty pages. It's a three issue mini, so you'll get like a trade size story out of it. Love a three issue mini. Like I said, the next the runner up was what's the furthest place from here? Number one is a little different than normal because I had read this a while back before I, I talked to Matt Rosenberg. And if you read this and enjoyed it, or maybe even didn't enjoy it, like you you should go listen to that show. I think it was a really thoughtful conversation on how you make a comic book. It's an end of the world apocalypse comic book. As we are as we are want to do, it was conceived before the pandemic started. I know mm-hmm. that much from Tyler Boss and Matt Rosenberg, and uh, they had previously done Four Kids Walk Into a Bank. Yeah, and I did not know what it was or what to expect. I was really blown away by the craft of the thing, perhaps more than the story of the thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's why it's not necessarily pick of the week. I also just think it is one of those first chapter things where I don't really know where we stand yet. It's very vague. It's not giving you a lot. You got to hang out. You got to watch. But I like the experience of it a lot. And mm-hmm. I like the construction. The construction is very, it's done in, I think, six chapters. And the way things are revealed and the way that the dialogue is just sort of like not terribly narrative. It's like things that you hear as you're standing around and you've kind of got to work at it. But at the same time, it's it's pretty sparse. I really enjoyed this a, a heck of a lot, but I want to know what happens next. That's been the trend for a while with Image is that the first issue, you're just usually nine times out of ten, you're just not sure what we're doing here. 
but we'll figure it out eventually. I liked this. I don't know that I connect all that much with Rosenberg's indie work as much as I do his mainstream stuff. I think this is a different sensibility. I think it looked great. I think Tyler Voss is terrific. I think that his mainstream work is more entertaining. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is, I'm going to really dumb it down, but uh, a Marvel movie versus a DC movie. Mm-hmm. Well, I think he also taps into something. He's their similar age as we are. Yeah. I think he taps into something from when we were younger, that Marvel feeling. He's got a way with those Marvel books, though, that he and, and his DC books. Like the stuff that yeah. he does in mainstream, he really... He makes them funny, and he makes them more fun than you expect they're going to be. Because I, I think of him like he's got kind of a hard-boiled thing going on. But it's funny. He did that great Thunderbolt series that we loved so much. Yeah. No, his, his stuff is definitely funny. Yeah, and uh, and this, it's just a different tone. It's a different side of him. You know, and, and, and listen, I'm going to be in the tank for this. You know, like you said, we're the same age. We're very, you know, have similar tastes. They live in a record store. You know, if I look around the shot at the beginning of all the records, and like, I own most of those records. So, you know, I'm in the tank for it to a certain extent. Uh, We're not going to talk about that. I didn't actually get the record. I wanted to. I pre-ordered it, but I don't know if it actually I don't think anybody did because of shipping issues. Okay. At least anecdotally from what I've seen around the internet is people saying they haven't gotten it yet. Okay. And I think that's part of it. Like, I started reading the little interview in the back, and it was like he started going off about how, you know, for everybody, music you like defines you, and you choose it early, and it guides the rest of your life. You're not like that, like, though. And I was like, well, that's not everyone, Matt. That's some people. That's people who hug it's out true. record stores. It's true. It's a way that's... I'd argue it's not most people. Yeah. It's a little bit of a myopic feeling in terms of everyone is like this. It's not the case. Which is fine. I don't, I don't hate it. I think that's why I don't 100% connect with it, because there's, there's, a, there's a sensibility here that I don't connect with, because I just didn't. I don't have it. Yeah. So this is a bunch of teenagers who are living in this record store, and they, they continue to go through the, the records as if they're shopping. And I actually really did like the double reversal on this. So it opens up, there's a guy in a bathroom, and this girl comes in, you know, his tooth has fallen out, and, he's, and so you're like, oh God, is he, is he dying? Like, is this some sort of plague situation? And then she's all excited because she found the perfect record. She shows it up at Hall and Oates, and, and we reveal they're in a record store. And, and like I said, everyone's sort of just going through the records and establishing shots. I thought, oh, okay, well, they're just in the record store. Because I, I didn't know what this was about either. Sure. Then it's a double reversal that it is a post-apocalyptic plague situation or something. You know, so I like that it was like, it played with your sensibility within the first three pages twice. Like, what is the story? I thought that was a really elegant reversal. Then after that, you get to the sort of story, which is there are no adults, something happens when you age out, and the world has fallen apart, and it's being run by teenage gangs. And that's sort of the overall... It's a lot. It's eight chapters, actually. And you you only get a very small view of the world in the first one. Yeah. Like, you know what happens from the perspective of these kids, because they're not explaining it to you. But, you know, as I go through it, it's one of those things where, like, on every page, there's something interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like she ends up with a gun at some point and shoots it at the a rival gang and the rival gang all wear smiling big masks, which is just a fantastic visual element that sort of it's, it's incongruous. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're just put off the whole time. You know, the kids are also like they're not heroic kids. No, they're just they're kids, kids trying to get by and waste their time the same way that kids would anyway, even though they're an apocalypse. They're like, hey, let's listen to records and get drunk and draw penises on people. Like it's not like a survivor's tale of incredible people. There are characters in the group like that. They're the, the competent leadership people. Sure. But for the most part, you know, one of the girls is pregnant. You know, I don't think there's any doctors or hospitals around. That's probably a problem. You know, they're being irresponsible teenagers as they would be if there's, with no supervision. And oh, and no there's these weird hope. nun character things. Yeah. Sister, whatever they are. I don't know. There's a lot. 
and it's not quite landed, but it, it's it's a well done comic book. And it's beautiful, mm-hmm. and I'm looking forward to more. And I'm definitely interested in the next issue. I didn't dislike it at all. I, I enjoyed it for sure. Sticking on the image <laughs> line, where are you at on Stillwater these days? The 11th issue came out. This is funny. So I read issue 11, and I was like, what the fuck is going on? It's, it's one year later at the very first page. I read the whole thing, and I was like, I don't understand what's happening anymore. Do I hate this now? What's happening? And then I figured out that because issue 10 came out when I was at the wedding, I never read it. Mm-hmm. And it was a pretty pivotal issue. Yes. It, it really changed the story, so I went back and read 10 and then 11 again. I was like, okay, I understand now. I was completely lost when I read 11 not having read 10, because the whole dynamic changed in 10, and then we had a one-year-later jump. So mm-hmm. I was just like, I must hate this now because I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> so it was better when you went back. It was better when I went back and read 10. I think that this is suffering from, for me, it's one of those image things. When you're going to do a really long story, you have to yeah. have it change a lot. But I think that these folks aren't as good with pacing as they were back in the Vertigo days. Yes, but also I don't think it's changing enough. I think that the thing is that, the, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what it is. Cause it, it's, it's both. The, I think it's both. It's only the 11th issue. a weird issue. thing to say. I think that we were just getting settled in the world, and then the next thing had to happen. And then a lot of things that happened relied on character stuff of characters that we didn't know and weren't terribly invested in and so now there's a lot of characters doing a lot of things and i don't know any of them well enough to understand the significance of it or kind of care what happens to them yeah does that make sense this is very much a consciously post walking dead book right it's yes it's a similar feel it's a similar situation it's not obviously the world is not ended there's zombies but it's there's a lot of characters living in this town Everyone who lives in the town is immortal. They're desperately trying to keep the secret of the town, keep outsiders out and people in and keep the peace. It's run in authoritative style like all the towns in Walking Dead were. It has a very conscious post-Walking Dead feel. The problem is Robert Kirkman and Charlie Adler are really good at creating character archetypes and distinct looks for all the characters. Yeah, there is now, that. Now, I'll put a pin in it and say there was obviously problems in Walking Dead with that. Sometimes you had very similar looking characters, same hair. They had that problem. But the main characters, the main cast, you always knew who Rick was. You always knew who Michonne was. Here, it's just a lot of regular looking people. And I forgot. I was like, oh, the redhead was the sheriff, right? Like, they just, yeah. there's a lot to keep track of because they're just regular f- folks. And the main character whose name I not even don't remember I couldn't tell you with a gun to my head what it was. I know what he was like in the first and second issue. Mm -hmm. But since that time, he's unrecognizable to me. I never know exactly what it is. I'm like, oh, he's the handsome one who's standing in the middle of everything for no reason. And Mm -hmm. I know that his mother was there. And and every once in a while, I'm like, but the redheaded lady isn't his mother because she left. And then she comes back at the end of this and she's a badass. The main character is not defined enough. Yeah. I know nothing about him other than he was working at an advertising agency in the beginning or something right. like that. And he was kind of miserable. He came there and they shot his friend. And then he just, he he got into it. He's like, all right, I'm here now. I mean, this is supposed to be over the course of a, prob- a couple of years now. And, and that makes sense. But, you know, of a book that I read, I, you know, maybe once a month, they took a hiatus at some point. I, I'm having a hard time holding on to the threads of it. And I like the book, but it is struggling on holding me just in the face of all the other stuff. And it's, it's pretty complicated. There's interesting things here, mm-hmm. which is, keeps me going. So you said the paradigm is switched three times. So we started off just learning with the town. The town's run by this judge and the sheriff and they keep you in peace. And then however many issues in one of the characters, this is Marine buddies show up 
And so they try to take over the town when they find out that you can be immortal living there. And that lasts for like two issues. And now the kids are somehow in charge, yeah. which I, I get it. But also, like, I don't believe that these, these people will let the kids run the town. Because they're still are kids. Are they kids? I guess they are kids. They're just, well, they're 50-year-old they're, they're kids. They're, they're in kid bodies. Right, but did their minds mature like people would have, but their bodies didn't? I think that's the thing is that they... Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm saying they're physically yeah. still children. Yeah. What I'm wondering, though, is, like, are their minds still children? Like, they know a lot more. They have a lot. But, you know, kids, like, their impulse control is different. Yeah, I don't know. And I think that that's what's happening, which makes what you're saying make more sense. That, like, why would you let them do it? Like, like they're mad that they're not maturing, and that understands, and they have a lot of knowledge... But emotionally, you're more fucked up as a kid, basically. Right. But my point is like, yeah. you know, I don't care if a five-year-old has a gun. I can kick that five-year-old pretty easily. <laughs> I like the idea that these kids got really pissed off that they're not allowed to grow up. And this is not a new, new idea in fiction. It's even up into including the Eternals film. But they're all pissed off because they see other people leave the town and come back and they've matured. And, and the one main character, he left when he was a kid and he came back and now he's like a handsome 25-year-old. And they all want to be adults. And so that's why they have banded together into their, in their Ewok village and have taken over the town. There's interesting things going on here. It's just like many of these books, it might read better altogether when you can keep everything together in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's probably the case. Like if you're reading this in trades, you're probably enjoying it more. As opposed to uh, skipping over an issue and not knowing anything that's going on. I was ang- not angry. I was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> it's the worst possible issue to miss. <laughs> Did you read The Thing number one? I don't know why I said eight, but it's number one. Yeah, I did. I, I think I probably wrote that eight. I did. I didn't know what to expect from it. I saw the name Walter Mosley, and I thought, that's not a comic book person. That's a, I had to refresh myself on who it was, but I said, oh, okay, right. And I didn't really know what to expect from it. And at the end of the day, I, I think I didn't really get a heck of a lot from it. Interesting. Uh, what, I want to know what you had to say. I just thought it was really fun. It was very classic Marvel. It seems to be set in sort of the late 80s period which is a sweet spot. And it's just a thing story. Mm-hmm. And also Tom Riley's art here is terrific. Yeah. That's not a name I know at all. Yeah, I didn't either. Didn't hurt to have Jordi Belair on colors. I think that sort of brought it No, but together. Tom Riley's got sort of a Steve Lieber, a little bit of Chris Somney. I can it's like all that. these things mixed into a blender. Actually more Chris Somney than Steve Lieber now that I'm looking at it, the faces. Yeah. And this is just a story where the thing comes back from a trip and the whole Fantastic Four is gone. Reed and Sue are at a conference. Johnny's somewhere. And so... A situation happens and the thing's the only one around to take care of it. And, you know, he's jealous of Alicia's friend from Puerto Rico. He overreacts a little bit. Um, hey, listen, look, she's holding his arm. He's got a jaunty pink shirt on. The cuffs are rolled up. He looks like Cesar Romero. <laughs> I'd be worried, too. He's got those short pants with no socks. <laughs> right. Which could put it today or the 80s. That's the thing. Exactly. He ends up in jail with Hercules. Classic Hercules is there. I just thought this was a really fun story. And there's a villain that takes people's hearts out of their bodies and turns them into like stone or whatever. And I guess he doesn't know that's also happening over in uh, Nightwing. <laughs> right. So, listen, there's a lot of things that happen in a lot of places. Uh, I just thought, I thought the art was terrific. I liked yes. the thing's story was fun. There's a whole weird thing going on here. And he's one of the best characters in Marvel. And it's just nice to have him getting a little showcase as the main character. He's not an investigator. Normally, it's like Reed points him at a thing to punch, and he punches it really hard, and that's the end of the story. So here, he's got to deal with everything. He's got to investigate the crime. He's got to figure out what's going on. He's got to save the day. I liked all that. I like what it looked like. It just didn't make much of an impact on me. That was sure. fine. I had kind of hoped. I was like, maybe this will be a great thing story, which is totally always my thing. Thing, <laughs> You know, like I want something to be great, and when it's fine, I'm like, all right. Fine is almost worse than bad to me. 
which is a theme of all of my reviews of all time for history. I thought it was good. I, the art, the art, I think was the was the best part is that it was it was unexpected because I didn't know who it was. And I, this is very competent. Yeah, really, really good. Good use of sound effects through the whole thing, and uh, pretty good. And also uh, for you know a novelist, not a bad comic script. No, not at all. I think they've gotten better at that. I feel like editorial at Marvel has gotten a better, or at DC, at all of them, when they bring in somebody from somewhere else, you know, like making sure the scripts are not disasters like they used to be. It's almost like they used to be afraid to tell the person, like, no, you've written right. this badly. And that, but now that, that does not seem to happen the way that it used to. Because we always pointed out, this isn't overwritten. And now most aren't. That was a thing. Yeah, no, I think, that, I think you're right. I think it's still a thing that happens every once in a while. But for the most part, it wasn't like the early 2000s where it was just a disaster zone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's take a quick break here and talk about how you can support the show. We're reaching towards the end of the year. And support for iFanboy and all of our various shows is always appreciated. There's a lot of ways you can do it. The main one is patreon.com slash ifanboy. That's the way to directly support the show. People who've done that have directly unlocked many th- shows for everyone to listen to. The talks explodes, the books explodes, the media explodes. Those have all been locked by the patrons. They've unlocked the YouTube uploads we've been doing of our old video shows from 15 years ago. And the other benefit is you get to be part of a great community. There's a Discord channel, server, community, however you call that. There's a Facebook group. And it's a really great community full of people who hang out all day talking about comics and various things. We do really appreciate it, Josh and I, and the whole team behind the scenes and all the other various hosts we have. We know it, it can be tough out there, and any support you can throw away is appreciated. It helps us offset the bills it costs to run the things, and it helps us make up for the time we spend away from our families doing the show and the edits and the reading and all the stuff we have to do to get the shows done. As we get towards the holidays, we do appreciate any help you can give us through these various means I'm about to talk about, other than Patreon. It includes ifanboy.threadless.com. we got 11 t-shirt designs. we got a 12th one that we just approved. Disapproved the design, so it's going to be coming out very soon. We've got a 13th one that we're looking at for early next year, so they're still coming. If you feel like you want to get your grandmother and Nothing Makes Sense, Nothing Matters t-shirt for the holidays, Has do there it. ever been a better slogan for a time? No. I mean, like it, it, everyone, not everyone, but like the people who listen to the show, who comment on posts or whatever, it's always right there like, this doesn't make, it. nothing makes sense, nothing matters, and just go, <laughs> yep, it's serenity now, but better. And that's why it's our number one design. That's why it's our, our hottest seller. Yeah. And so uh, if you're looking for a gift for the holidays, there's some t-shirts there. Or you want to just yeah. treat yourself, there's t-shirts there. And there'll be, like I said, a new one coming out very soon. com slash support. You know, end of the year, you got a little bit of extra money. Want to throw five bucks in the tip jar? That's where you can do it. com slash support. It's our PayPal link. And you can you can do that. People do that all the time. We thank anyone who does it. But if you were going to do 10000 and you just heard Connor say 5 bucks, and you thought, oh, maybe I'll do 5 instead, don't listen to that. Yeah, maybe you were, you were one of those eccentric billionaires we used to always talk about all the time, and you're, you were finally getting around to saying, well, I got to get rid of $60 million before the end of the year. I was going to throw it in the tip jar, but he said 5 so I'll do 5 Reconsider. We will convert what we do... Just let us know ahead of time and say, I need you guys to be a 5013C. Yeah, and we'll yeah. go, we'll, we'll do that. But what I understand is that the rich aren't, there's not more of them now, but the ones that are there are much more wealthy than they used to be. Yeah. Which seems like, A, somebody listening to this. <laughs> Mathematically speaking. Just must be extremely, or, you know, like you're the, you're the, your parents are. Right. You know, someone did really well during the pandemic. And as a percentage of overall wealth, mm-hmm. I feel like we're not asking too much for a <laughs> six to seven figure donation. You won't even notice it, honestly. Let's be clear. It's a rounding error. Like, and if you're not, talk to us. We will. We, we will make change. We will work with you on this. Because, <laughs> like, I feel like maybe that there's a billionaire, 
and they're like, well, I'm not sure. And they're shy. Like, they don't want right. to, like, well, don't I don't want to create, I don't to create a paperwork problem for you, them or something like that. Like, oh, how would, I mean, what a hassle, though, to accept all that money. Like, we, Connor and I do not feel that way. <laughs> yeah, no. Just to be clear, just to assuage any, any guilt you might have. We don't, don't worry about the paperwork. We'll handle the paperwork. <laughs> we'll make all the phone calls. <laughs> Whatever you need to do. I love the idea that this social awkwardness <laughs> is holding somebody back <laughs> from from donating a stupid amount of money to a comic book podcast. <laughs> Somebody's just sitting around in their indoor pool and yeah, giraffes yeah. and Harley Davidsons. There's a monkey handing out drinks. <laughs> a little tuxedo. And they're just they're just tortured. <laughs> God, maybe I should do this. I I, I don't I, I don't know. And they I don't want to make it awkward for the guys. And as they're thinking about it, they wave away Brad Pitt. Like Brad, not now. <laughs> <laughs> the monkey whisks him away. <laughs> and they're on a beach. <laughs> Somebody's preparing a sumptuous meal of fresh god seafood. They just walk away. Don't even take a bite. Not even one clam. That's all they ate. <laughs> and then finally, fanboy.com slash Amazon. This is where you can find links to our Booksplode books. And also, it's the end of the year. If you're doing shopping for the holidays for yourself or for others, consider using the fanboy.com slash Amazon link for that. We do appreciate it. <laughs> all of these things you do uh, to help support the show. Of course, the show uh, goes on for free, as always. But we always do appreciate anyone who helps to support and reaches out. And we do thank you for that. Josh, I will... Okay. Speaking of money, I will pay you one American dollar if you can tell me what the fuck is going on in The Righteous Thirst for Vengeance. So I read the second issue this week, and I went... I'm, no, the second issue came out, I said, I don't think I read the first issue. It was on one of those off weeks. So I went back, and I went through it, and I was like, oh, I did read this. And I actually liked the first issue. It was fairly clear Mm -hmm. the second issue i had a harder time with but i liked it i mean basically like there's some sort of network of contract killers and like they bumped into each other so this contract killer is going to end up getting blamed by a series of chances for a murder that he didn't commit but at the same time he took another job where they teamed him with somebody that he didn't know and they had to go kill this woman that's as much as i know i mean i don't know that's i mean i don't know he seems really nervous. Yeah. He gives a lot of money to his mom's old folks home to take care of her. For, seems like forever now. Like, he, yeah. like it seems like he's going on a suicide mission. Like, I just don't understand. Because partially what Rick, Mrs. Rick Remender and Andre Lima Araujo are doing is they're telling... Uh, it's, it's not silent, but it's mostly silent. There's not a lot of dialogue. It's, You're right. And I think that that ambiguity makes it difficult. But I think it's, it's really beautiful. And it, oh, I God. Really, it's beautiful. Yeah. Andre really Lima like Araujo, the storytelling and... It says there's something I like about it. It's also it's very unremender. It's extremely yes. unremender, and I find that interesting. So I'm I found that this issue was harder to grasp than the first one, which I thought was pretty good. Uh, but I'm absolutely willing to stick with it. I think you're right. This is almost the opposite of in your face funny remender. This is very quiet. Obviously, there's not a lot of dialogue and subdued and slow. But it's but, it almost feels like it's an experiment. He's he's trying and it's working in terms of I don't know what's going on, but it's fun and interesting. In terms of understanding where the main character at, Benedict Wong, <laughs> right? you can tell where he is emotionally the whole time, which I yes. think is, is really cool. It's a credit to the art. Yeah, absolutely. 
So, Action Comics. Action Comics number 1036, or three years after 1000, or four weeks, however often they come out, I don't know. This is sort of the beginning of Superman and the Authority get to War World, and I want to read this, but I also don't want to read this. So this is the issue where they attempt to put together the desperate threads of Superman stories. So, yeah, as we discussed previously, we had two different Superman stories going on. We had Philip Kennedy Johnson's lead up to War World, and then we had... Grant Morrison's lead up to World War, and neither one of them made sense. In this issue, we try to put it together. And I'm fine where we stand now. It turns out that Superman is, in fact, old and losing his powers like he was in Grant Morrison's book. It's just that Manchester Black's been using his magic to hide the fact that he's old and I miss losing that. his powers. And so uh, suddenly he's got great temples, and he's not as strong as he was. And Trancis has been using her magic to boost his powers, so he's actually weak and old. And so... What I think happened is Morrison and Michael Jannon's miniseries was done as a lead up to Future State in the DiDio era. Because, you know, Morrison's usually like a few years behind in terms of his writing. And then DiDio got fired and they're like, well, fuck, we have this miniseries. And so they had put it out and had Philip Kennedy Johnson had to figure out a way to make it work together with what was happening in the current books in the Mm -hmm. new paradigm. So here he has a weakness and he's not as strong. So this won't be quite as easy to liberate War World as we thought. Yeah, whatever. So we don't know why he's getting weak. He's getting old. He got poisoned by some shit somewhere. Radiation poisoning. His powers have been fading for months. That's dumb. Yeah. Really dumb. It's dumb. I don't, I don't need it. It's all excuses to keep him Superman's off the planet. Superman's vulnerability cannot come from him physically. That is mm-hmm. what makes him compelling. Superman's yes. vulnerabilities have to come from his emotions and his personality. Mm-hmm. not his body. And I know that the story works the other way. If you say, well, you'll see that he's still strong even without his body, but that is not as interesting, I think. And they're forcing him out of the way. Yeah, I don't like it. I'm totally going to read it, though. <laughs> Do you know why? Because I desperately want to love Superman comics. And for a yeah. while, we've had Superman comics to love, and so I'm going to grasp on as much as I can. I mean, you've sure. done this with Batman. You're like, just, of course. we're going we're gonna to read it till we get something good. And it's not even, it's not bad. Like, I didn't read this. Like, oh, this is a piece of shit. It's a story that's being railroaded and the people have to figure out how to make it work, like you said. And that's n- never good. Nope. Sometimes it's good, but, but mostly. Sea of Stars number 11 is the last issue of this series. Mini series. 11 is a weird one to end on. So you figure, you know, do your own math yeah. on that. I had actually let this one build up. Mm-hmm. I hadn't read it because same thing. About 12 issues of an image series, somewhere around 7, 8, 9, it starts to be like, I don't know what the fuck is going on anymore. But I really like everybody involved with this. <laughs> Actually, I've had conversations, friendly, non-comics conversation with all of the main people making this book. Mm-hmm. And so there's a bias. Like, I've worked with Stephen Green, but I was really happy to see him doing this. And what in the beginning was a story of... Anyway, I read 8, 9, 10, and 11 all oh, wow. this week, which actually helped. Sure. You know, not spread out through months because there's a lot going on and it's very mystical. And I think in the beginning, what you had was a story of dad and a son, and, you know, the kid's kind of young and, and the dad's uh, upset and kind of not great at it. And they get separated in space and they meet crazy space people. But at that point, it worked for me because those were all just stand ins for human stuff, except it was a space monkey. I mean, it mm-hmm. could have been he was lost in Oklahoma. And then as we kept going, there's a bigger thing going on. And there's space gods and blah, 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 and all that stuff. And I did, I lost the thread. And, you know, everybody starts gaining powers and there's a club. And, you know, that's not my favorite thing. It's, and it's space opera. It's exactly what they said it would be. And it's fine. But as I read all those issues at the end, it was pretty coherent. 
at mm-hmm. the end. And I kind of, I do like a coda. I like that, you know, the villain is defeated and then we see what happens after the fact. And, you know, the, the kid has these kind of God powers at the end, you know, and his dad is like, great, we'll use that to deliver stuff faster. You know, and so they go back to trucking together with their space monkey friend now. And I was like, all right, I like that as an end. <laughs> like, it's the end of a movie ending. It becomes Clint Eastwood at the end. I think that it the whole thing was an explosion of imagination and mm-hmm. fantasy. And there were some really cool, maybe better images than there were ideas and have it all mm-hmm. float together. But it did a thing. And I think it did what it was supposed to. I don't think it should have gone on any longer than it did, which is fine. But ultimately, I, it's a beautiful book. I'm glad I read it, you know, but it was, it was ambitious. It was trying to do a thing. We had the final issue of Six Sidekicks of Trick or Keaton. Number six, Chris Starks. Kyle, Kyle Starks, Chris Schweitzer. Chris Starks. And I wanted to mention, because we've been enjoying this miniseries, and it ended in the most Hollywood way possible. I don't love the reveal of the killer, but then again, I don't really feel like it was about that. That's exactly what I was thinking. I thought, oh, this wasn't really about who the killer was. It was just watching right. these people. You know, right, and, so the killer that, turned out to be a, an executive who had worked on all of Trigger Keaton's shows originally and just finally got sick of him and had him killed. And Well, it was he was costing him too much money. Right, and payouts and insurance stuff. And so the, uh, the sidekicks find out, and <laughs> in exchange for not turning him in, he offers them a show and so that they're all stars now. And so that was the most Hollywood possible ending this could possibly have. It made sense for the characters <laughs> in this story. They're in some like terrible, almost like... Uh, I, I won't even say it's like anything. It's not even like Power Rangers. It's just this terrible kung fu show with all the ridiculous Avengers. costumes. Not the Avengers, the Eternals. Yeah. I thought that was funny, the way to end it. I thought this series was a lot of fun. I'm happy that these guys keep putting books out. And I hope. And you can go back. Soon. Like He could do a story with one or two of these folks in the yeah. future, just for an issue or two, and I think it'd be fun. Yeah, I hope they do more. Yeah. Hey, those are the books we wanted to talk about. Though, actually, I had a lot of books. No, I had like, well, higher than average. No, I think I had 18 or 19 books this week. It was a good amount I had of that many. I thought I almost had no, like not many, but then like indie books. There was I had about the same amount of non-Marvel DC books as I yes. did Marvel DC, which is I think last week I had nine of those, and this week I had like six or seven. Mm-hmm. It was a lot. Anyway, Patreon.com/slash/ifanboy. The patrons, so I mentioned earlier, everyone was a patron because a vote to add a book to the rundown. We called it the patron pick. And this week's patron pick by a wide margin was regarding the matter of Oswald's body, number one from Boom Studios, written by Christopher Cantwell. Art by Luca Casa Languida. Nice. Casa Languida. Colors, Colors by, by Giada Marchisio. <laughs> and letters by And World Design. And World Design. I'm not on Twitter anymore, but I have several people in my life who send me tweets in text message form that I might be interested in. One of which was from Tim Seeley this week, who said something along the lines of comic books used to be named after the characters in them, like Batman, Daredevil, Casper the Friendly Ghost. But now they're like, where the fuck are my keys? Like, this is these long sentences. <laughs> <laughs> what's the <laughs> that's funny there were two of those books this week at least two of those books this week oh. so anyway this is this is christopher cantwell did he really write where the fuck are my keys no that's the joke i put in I don't, he wrote something that's else, a good that was, joke thank you you're welcome so remember when josh when conspiracy theories are kind of fun and you know you could talk about it and read about it without inspiring sedition and assassination you know what now that you say it, I do, but I had completely forgotten. <laughs> you say the word conspiracy, and I'm like, oh, shut up. In the 90s, one of my college roommates and I were super into the JFK conspiracies and Oswald. And we watched Oliver Stone's JFK every Thursday for an entire semester. Oswald. So that was like back when it was fun. I mean, look, someone died as a result. But it was like no harm, no foul to discuss JFK conspiracies mm-hmm. as opposed to now where suddenly well, the Capitol's on fire. 
there was theoretically reason and research behind that stuff. And, and right. also, every once in a while, it occurs to me, I'm like, how do we still not know? <laughs> I got mad about it a couple of weeks ago. I remember I just think, this is ridiculous. We should know by now. Somebody well, knows. Which I mean, leads me to think, maybe there just wasn't, because nobody can shut up for that long. Yeah. Anyway, so anyway. I did not know what regarding the matter of Oswald's body was about at all, which, uh, you know, like, I just pictured a person named Oswald, and then right away I went, <laughs> oh, that Oswald, that's kind mm-hmm. of interesting. Yeah. And so going for it in this, Christopher Cantwell's a, a, a great writer. Not everything he does is great. No. Or just, that's not all for me. But this seems like it'd be totally in my wheelhouse, Luca Casalanguida, <laughs> Casalanguida, whatever you say it. Great art, perfect for the thing. Yes. I really wanted to like this more than I did. Yeah, I, I thought it was fine. I didn't love it. I was hoping to love it, like you, you know, like obviously, like I just said, I spent a lot of time bathing in the JFK conspiracy waters and my And there were no days, witches so. or magic or any shit. Yeah. Like it was. I opened the first page and it was a little redacted flow chart. And I was like, ooh, Mexico City, that's where the guy the, the government says was Oswald was, but clearly wasn't Oswald in the photo. Like I suddenly went right back there in my head and I was like, oh shit. Yeah. So I was excited. And then. You know, this was a pretty standard issue where a shadowy government operative assembles yeah. a team of yeah. sort of small-time criminals and other misfits to do something related to the Oswald conspiracy. And, and we don't really know what that is. This was entirely a building the team issue. So yeah. we meet the bank robber, who was pretty bad at bank robbing. We meet the musician, who is playing in just the wrong bar. Who else do we see? There's a, <laughs> is there a sharpshooter or is that somebody else? I don't know. There's just like a bunch of guys. That they, yeah, there's, there's a guy who desperately wants to be in the FBI or the CIA, and he's a crack shot, but he's secretly gay. He gets brought in. There's a woman who was in prison. This would be one of my criticisms is that that's a black woman, and we're in the early 60s, and so yeah. that's a very that's a time very fraught. But it wasn't immediately clear to me that she was a black woman. Hmm. She just it just wasn't clear. I think that because she had her hair straightened and it, like it just iconographically like I didn't understand right away that she was a black woman, which would have made it clearer her stance. Like she's a was she in Texas or was it somewhere else? Yeah, she's in Dallas County Jail. OK, so you got a, a black woman in jail in 1960. Is it three? Because she ref, well, she didn't refuse. She kept trying to order from a place where she was segregated from. Yep. That's great. Do that, but it didn't graphically tell me that right away for whatever reason. Like it just looked like she was a either a Latina woman or something. I don't know. It didn't. It didn't quite read, and so it took me mm-hmm. a second. That's not a script problem. It's just a design thing, you know. And and then the thing that they're trying to do is the photo of Oswald with the rifle. If you know mm-hmm. anything about it, you've seen it, and the shadows don't match, and whatever. Blah yeah. blah. <laughs> is they need to find a person who looks exactly like that photo, which is a ridiculous conceit. And I don't have a problem with that, by the way. But if you're going to fill in the dots of this thing that is so well known mm-hmm. i think it should be more interesting than this was which defined a bunch of misfits and put them together and this right. guy who works for the quote-unquote government or something like that and i just i don't know i kind of hope that it's like they had not, none of these people have anything to do with it it's just kind of a red herring or, I, I don't know if you're filling in the blanks to get to that end point i'm like i don't know if this is where i want to start right but also i think i just really want to know what happens and this is just wasting my time <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the flow chart, you know, hits all the ticks, all the boxes. You got Mexico City, you got Dallas, you got New Orleans, you got Cuba. And then down at the bottom, there, Lee Harvey Oswald goes to, to a decoy who comes out of a group of four that we just met. There's someone else who's redacted from some Corsica. So there's a lot that I should really be excited about here. And I'm, I'm hoping I'm excited enough to remember to read the second issue, only because I often, we often read these comics from 
other publishers and I just forget that they exist. And then when the second issue comes out, I forgot. And then by the time I realize it's been four issues and I go, oh, never mind. So hopefully I, d- I remember the second issue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, so this, this leads us to ratings. 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 Uh, out of five, I'm going to give it three. I was also going to go with three. But in this instance, the three book is both going to be us saying we are pretty much sticking with it, provided you don't forget it exists. Correct. I will stick with it if I don't forget it comes out. Yep. Yeah. There you go. Regarding the matter of Oswald's body from Boom Studios. I think that's really interesting that we both had the same take on it, because I didn't know where that was going to go. But that tells us something that we're getting somewhere. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. Everyone who's a patron can vote to add a book to the rundown. But if you're a patron at the $5 higher level, you get a superpower live on the show, bestowed by us live with sometimes no prep. I have prep. Okay, prep. go for it. No rest holds. And I don't know what that is. That's with mm-hmm. the name that I have, though. So that's what I'm going to work with. It's a genderless name. It is no rest holds. It's a robot. Corrects the vision of everyone within 20 feet of them. Oh. If you are within that area, your vision will return to its optimal setting. Wow. You, now, if you're Ooh. wearing glasses, it's going to fuck you up. Sure. Or contacts is even worse because you can take the glasses off immediately. But, it, it, you know, basically, like, if you're in a restaurant with this dude or lady or wrestling move. <laughs> right. I, I'm sorry. I just assume that people listening to dudes and the stats bear that up. But your vision will be clear as day. And it might be, for example, that you're sitting there and you did not know that you had failing vision. It had been so slow and you just, you know, I was just, I don't know, I'm squinting a lot. I had headaches. I don't really know why. And, the, and all of a sudden, like, oh, I think I might need glasses. You What's know? his area of effect there? Is it About 10 20 feet, feet in every 20 direction. Feet? 20 feet in every direction. So he could go to like a high class restaurant where there's people mm-hmm. in like tuxedos and, and like wraps, fur wraps and monkeys with tuxedos on are serving people. And... Suddenly, you're just like, oh, 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 people, old man taking glasses off. Oh, oh, oh. And like a lot of murmuring going on, a lot of like drinks, things, cl- yeah. things clacking on the table and clinking because people have dropped forks. But I, I also like the idea that when it happens, like it's like a magical moment where all of a sudden you see everything that you sort of hadn't been seeing but didn't know you weren't seeing. I like it. You look like, like there's that. A, there's a clarity like, oh, my God, <laughs> look, at the, look at the beauty of this floral arrangement in the middle of the table. And I, sure. I, had, I had lost it. Somebody's like, look, a dime. <laughs> Chris S.T. George always keeps the introductory price. Oh. So, so like, you know, you sign up for a streaming service and they're giving you like a, like a deal, like a $3 a month deal. Chris is, just never expires or like a phone service so t- or whatever. Like whatever that low, that. low introductory price is, Chris is just whatever mystical aura. He just keeps that low, low introductory price. So he, he doesn't he doesn't need to call Comcast every two years? No. Because that's what I have to do. <laughs> yeah, hey, no, he my keeps... bill just went from $90 to 600 Do you think we could do something about this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he always just keeps it. I don't know that that's going to make a big impact on you financially. I mean, unless Chris is really sort of check-a-checking on the line. No, but you know, it's just like a nice thing. Right, but from a stress level. Sure. You hate that you plan your bills, and all of a sudden, well, what happened here? Yeah. This was $100 last month. Right. That was the introductory period, and as you can see, you're signed <laughs> up for a three-year contract. Now it's $30,000. Does yeah. that extend to balloon payments? Does he never have balloon payments, or is that a different thing? No, that's a different thing. Okay, yeah. fine. I've never had a balloon payment, but I'm terrified of them. It's like quicksand. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to pay my bills one day. you like, what the hell is this? And balloon payment. Gotcha. No, no. You thought your adult life would be quicksand and balloon payments. 
I didn't even know there were payments about anything. That was after I stopped worrying about quicksand. It's much worse than quicksand. <laughs> it's a different kind of quicksand. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's where you can vote to add a book to the rundown and get a superpower. And we thank everyone who supports the show that way. Thank you very much. Do you want to do an email, a quick one, a long one? You decide. Yeah, let's do... Let's, I want to do them both. I think we can get through this because okay. the first one's super short. Ken from the Great okay. White North writes in, Are there any 30-year-old Simpsons references that you still use on a weekly basis? Now, why I found this interesting, early in the week, uh, I posted a picture of Big Shirtless Ron on my yeah. Instagram. And mm-hmm. for my whole life, whenever I see a male not wearing a shirt, I go, Big Shirtless Rod. And yes, I said Rod because I got it wrong. But I realized I just say it to myself and have been forever, which I assume is where this question came from. But then I thought, Connor doesn't use Simpsons references. Really? You're not a uh, Simpsons person, are you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you of course I am. Okay. But when I saw this question come in originally, I thought, I think there are, and I think at this point, I don't even realize that they're from The Simpsons anymore. Sure. And I just can't think of any, but I'm pretty sure there are. Now, I can think of, and first of all, if but there I are fewer. A, but I think there are fewer now than, than say, 20, 15, 20 years ago. Well, because it's probably been longer that I haven't watched The Simpsons than. It's definitely been longer that you haven't watched The Simpsons. Right. So the, it's sort of either faded or just they're, they're such a part of my, my brain lexicon that I don't even re- remember that they're from The Simpsons anymore. And I'm just trying and to think I, of what they are. I, I'm sure that, I mean, I stopped watching it t- 25, 30, somewhere in between there. I, I like eighth season, let's say. Yeah. I think I maybe watched it for a couple of years after that, but it didn't stick with me. But I know that on a weekly basis, that's what he said too, which I think is correct. If anybody mentions salad, I will mention that you do not win friends with salad. Mm-hmm. If anybody mentions a dental plan, that's gonna hit. That's gonna set me off. There's a lot of them in there from the first handful of seasons. Yeah, big shirtless rods one. You don't win friends with salad. Those are the two that I can. think I of. I feel like there. I do Gil a lot. Yeah, like in work settings where it's like, oh, that's not a line. No, but, but it's it more like yeah, not even so much a character, Ooh. but like, yeah. just in my head, I'm like, you know, I I say things in Gil voice. Or like, you know, I need a win. Yeah, yeah. It's more stuff like that. I don't know. There's stuff, again, it's just so, it's so ingrained in me. It's been 30 plus years that mm-hmm. I don't even remember anymore. It's like Star Wars dialogue. Yeah. But there's definitely less of it. Like, there's definitely the thing that was much more prevalent when I was in my 20s. was just yeah. doing, just doing Simpsons references. Well, probably because your wife probably didn't grow up watching it. And so it just falls on deaf ears. Well, it's also just, you know, I think I watched it until my 20s. Yeah. And so it was always it was there. I just I, I just I remember at one point when I was like, I don't think this is funny anymore. Yeah, no, and, exactly. And it, then it never stopped. And it's not that it isn't funny. It's just that it changed. It just it just changed as it was supposed to, and it wasn't the same thing. Right. You know, when we started watching that, those are all people who grew up on like fifties and sixties cartoons, mm-hmm. and like that's our frame of reference. Like, does you ever think about that? Like. Everybody who wrote everything when we were younger that we watched, we were all like influenced by stuff in the 50s and 60s. And now it's just different. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Also just, you know, there's been a lot of other things since then. Sure. Yes. But those stick with me. And, and I mean, Seinfeld. And, yeah. I mean, Seinfeld, Pump, Pulp Fiction, Star Wars. Seinfeld, Simpsons, Star Wars is sort of the, the holy trinity of yeah. references of people who are like us. We Seinfeld a lot yeah. still to this day. Oh, sure. Plus, you still have, like, curb enthusiasm on, so that sort of sensibility stays around. Mm. I'll read Jimmy J's email. Jimmy J says, I know you guys are longtime fans of Brian Michael Bendis in spite of the mixed quality of his later work. The question I have to ask is, do you think Bendis could be a good editor someday? I ask this question due to his eye for talent, and he can come up with new concepts and characters, just not always good at executing them. Examples include Miles Morales and Riri Williams. They are good characters on paper, but I think Bendis always had trouble executing them, especially Riri. It took until writers like Salad and Ahmed and Eve Ewing was when the characters began to shine. 
Okay, so the reason that I stuck this in here mm-hmm. is that I disagree with almost all of it. And I think it's coming from a premise that isn't correct. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that to correct Jimmy J. I say it because I just think it's interesting that this was the question. And, and also, I could be wrong. I don't know. It's all personal. But I cannot think of a professional writer in comics who would be a worse editor than Brian Michael Bendis. If there was ever a guy who is the single solitary writer who is going to sit there and crap out whatever it is on paper, and I don't even mean that in a negative way, yeah. it's Brian Michael Bendis. It's what mm-hmm. he does. He's not a writing collaborator. I can't think of... I think he did something with Brian Reed at some point, but he's, he doesn't work with anybody. He writes scripts and he hands them in. He writes them compulsively, and that is not what an editor does at all. Right. And also, an editor does not come up with concepts and then have somebody else write them. That's not... Uh, uh, that's not accurate. Well, at least in the way, like, this guy's a pure writer. That's what I'm yeah. getting at. You know, the, which is what, you know, most, they want the pitches to come in from the writers for the most part. It might be that there's an overall thing like, hey, we should do it this way. And Right, but they, those pitches, sometimes they're blind pitches from the writers, but mostly it's, we, we want you to write Shazam, send us a pitch on it. Right. But, or it's, we have this concept for Shazam, mm-hmm. can you give us a pitch on this concept? Right. Like, it's definitely. But I don't feel like they would hand somebody a character. Here's this character we came up with, write a story for it. Yes, they do all the time. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's how, that works all the time in Marvel DC. It works all the different ways, but that definitely happens all the time. I usually feel like the characters are thought up by whoever the writer is. Like it comes out of something and then they go, oh, that's a thing. Let's build that out. No, you, you give a lot more credence to the creative teams than actually happens in Fair these enough. world. But do you agree with me on the on the standpoint of Bendis? I mean, I think he does come up with great concepts and I think he does come up with great characters. And I think he, if he's picking the art teams out, which he def- certainly has in some yeah. cases and... I don't know that Bendis has the best eye in picking out the best collaborators and finding the best artists. He certainly drugs them out, but I do think that what he has an eye is is finding collaborators who work with his style. He's very aware of people who do not work for his style. And I always think of Tony Harris at one point. He goes, I couldn't work. I love Tony Harris, but I can't work with him because Tony Harris does, you know, two, three panels a page, and that's not, they're going to work with Bendis' style. Right. And there was a sort of disastrous John Romita Jr. collaboration because that was just the wrong person to work with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think then the last bit is interesting is that Saladin Ahmed and Eve Ewing being the people to make Miles Morales and Riri Williams shine. I don't know. A, I didn't read much Riri Williams. I read mm-hmm. her from Bendis for a little while and that was kind of it. I don't even think I read all of it. Miles Morales, I think, you know, I liked Miles Morales when Bendis did it. Mm-hmm. And I like when Saladin Ahmed did it. I think he changed it to be a more this is going to sound dumb an authentic character mm-hmm. a, you know basically he's supposed to be a young mixed race kid in the city and he's been being written by you know a middle-aged jewish man in portland oregon probably mm-hmm. not the best viewing of it but i don't think it was bad i think that he created the thing and then somebody else took it and ran with it and sort of adapted it for that but that said Worst fucking costume redesign ever. The original Miles Morales Spider-Man costume is perfect, and the new one does just ugly. I have no idea what it looks like. I haven't even seen Miles Morales in a comic in it's years. It's like a big pullover jacket, and he has red eyes now. And Ugh. I'm reading the book. I like the book. It's it's cool, and I, I think, and I also don't think it's unrelated to what Bendis did. It's just it's just you know the dialogue has shifted a little bit. The the point of view has shifted a little bit, and I think it works. Riri, I can't speak to. Yeah, and so the question is, does you know we don't know who pairs the writers with the artists. In indie books, we know the collaborators well, themselves, and we know people like Remender works with terrific artists in his indie stuff. And is it Bendis bringing his people on? Is it an editor assigned them? We just don't know who the collaborators are or the stories come from. I've only read Miles Morales and Reed Williams when Bendis wrote them. I haven't read them by anybody else, so I, I can't speak to that. I think when it comes to artists, 
uh, it, it just depends on mm-hmm. you know where the story comes from, where it started. You get paired with somebody, but there are smart writers. Seemed people who who are smart about their career and have the clout to do so mm-hmm. seem to have a say. I yeah, oh, for sure. In, in I mean, you can tell that Bendis is so. the Bendis. people Bendis works with are the people he works with all the time. Or you know, so he, he's clearly like I want to work with this person. Tom King. These are people who make sure they have artists and, and will bring yeah. people in. I mean, you think about like Jorge Fornes, you know, Tom had to fight for him. Like they were right. like, nah, he's not, you know, and he's like, no, this guy's amazing, you know, and he was right because they're, they're writing the thing. You got Remender and Bendis are interesting because they were artists, were right. are, you know, whatever. So like they had a, a visual style early, but Bendis is one of the first guys that I noticed. I was like, oh, he's making sure that he has artists who fit with his thing. And he talked about it. I heard him say it on interviews. But again, that dude is a writer. Yeah. I can't, I honestly, I cannot think of another person. Well, Tom King's a writer. He's not an editor. Josh Williamson, though, he's an editor. Yeah. And he's, he said that, like, he wants to be, a, you know, he could, he could see himself in a Jim Shooter role or, a, you know. Could he, if he had to, gun to his head? Sure. Well, it's like Wade, he's, he seems to be an okay, like, chief, at, like, to, like overall everything, chief. but yeah. it still feels like a waste in a way. Like, that guy, when he puts words in a script, it's magic. Like, that's what he should be doing. Right. Contact at ifanboy.com as you can write in uh, for this show and our Media Explode show. If you write in for Media Explode, put it in the title of the email, the subject line. Thank you for doing that. Let's do a rundown of the holiday schedule. Once we talk about the fact that there are two shows behind this one in the feed, one was the Tom King Talksplode that Josh just mentioned. It's Tom King interviews. I really, really enjoyed that, and, and uh, you should listen to it. So that's behind this show. And then right behind this show is a special edition on Injustice, the DC animated adaptation of the tom taylor series that was a tie-in to a video game so you can listen to that animated brain just discussion on injustice we talked about the book earlier this year it's been an injustice year so now we've gotten that out of our system now onto the holiday schedule so this is pick week 806 we have four more shows this year until we go on holiday break but we have a whole mess of special edition shows so you're going to be getting like 11 shows between now and break in total in addition to those four picks of the week so next week we have media explode and then episode 807. And then before the Thanksgiving holiday, we're going to try to get out our Shang-Chi and Eternals special edition shows. And then be Pick League 808. And then we owe you two book explodes. We looked at the chart and realized we somehow skipped a month. So we owe you two book explodes before the end of the year. We so, read a novel, Connor. I, that's probably it. So uh, we're going to have one book explode for you on December 2nd and one book explode for you on December 9th. Basically, from here to the end of the year, there's going to be a new show every Thursday and every Sunday for the rest of the, until our that- shows are all up. Probably. Probably. Unless something goes wrong. It's the holidays. You never know what's going on. And then Pickley 810 on December 12th. And then the final talk explode of the year, probably on December 16th. And then our traditional final show of the year, all media year and roundup, will be December 18th. I may have skipped things in the middle, but basically there's a lot going on between now and December 18th. You're going to have a lot of shows. And we'll be back after our break on January 9th with Pickley 811. So that's the holiday schedule. We'll keep repeating that for the rest of the year. And you guys should, people who appreciate that know it's coming, you should thank Connor because I'm not doing what he just did. He's the person who does that. And thank God for it because I look at it and just go, oh, God, just tell me when to show up. Just just tell me what I need to do. Give me my assignment, Chief. Where are we? Oh, we have to end the show? Yeah. We have to end the show. End the now. show. Okay, here we go. So I'm, I'm the, doing the last part. Yes, where I the part at the end right. that says the outro after outro, and then there's a there's a brackets with J in it. So this and then th- this signals you. signals Josh the end of the show. Yeah, I've read this. Okay, I know this part. I know. I hope so. I don't. This is a bad bit. 
because <laughs> it doesn't quite sound like a bit, and also it's annoying. Mm. So here we go. Yeah. Head over to ifanboy.com to find all of our shows. And our somebody out there right now, they're drinking from a diamond chalice. And they were, <laughs> they had, they called their accountant. Well, they, yeah. they had, the, you know, they, they were like, you know what, go ahead. I, I've been thinking about this and let's just, let's just work this. And then I started that bit and they just looked over and the assistant person just looked at them with a look. There was no words. It was like, no, you know, and it was like. A little head shake. No, no, he they they blew it. Kind of yeah, that's that was he it. was like authorized the payment, sir, mm-hmm. and he was like, uh, hold on a second. Yeah, I wait. What? No, that was a bad bit. Yeah, send that payment instead to around <laughs> comics. <laughs> Go to ifibar.com. You can find all of our shows and our history of comic book writing from all the writers that we had. That is probably way way out of date, but it's there. There's evergreen content as well. Sure. Go to Facebook.com slash iFanboy, at iFanboy on Twitter, at iFanboyComics on Instagram. You can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out. You can follow us individually at C.S. Kilpatrick and Jay Flanagan on Instagram. You can subscribe to our YouTube page at YouTube.com slash iFanboy. You can keep up to date on old video show re-uploads as we head towards the end of the uh, existing long shows. And then you'll have a lot of old mini shows that are left over. So, for example, if you were thinking, jeez, what new comics came out? On July 10th, 2008, there's a mini there. There was no use to anybody uh-huh. that's there. There's a show on Jonah Hex, which uh, that is an evergreen kind of thing. That's a great comic. Yep. We talked about the movie, I assume, which was a bad movie. It was yeah. a very bad movie. But it was such a bad movie that I remember, Connor and I remember the experience. Yeah, yeah. And oh, there's sure. something special about that. Like it was, yeah. a, it was a properly bad movie. And you forget... So not only was uh, Josh Brolin Thanos <laughs> and Cable, but he was Jonah Hex. This guy has been in a lot of comic book movies. Sure. And then finally, there's old ads. Tales of Suspense number 57, which is, is that? Yeah, that's This the was an appearance. anthology episode. We yep. had three segments, so you did old ads. And that's the first appearance of Hawkeye in Iron Man. Yes. Book. Tales of Suspense number 57. Cowboy Ninja Viking. I remember that. And uh, the Superhero Dictionary. Which I have now. Connor had yeah. it. Now I have it. Those are what are on those video shows. Sorry. I'll just end it. I'm sorry. As Josh mentioned, we have only a couple more months left of the full-length show uploads. In fact, and we, didn't, we did not plan this out. It just worked out this way. The very last upload of a full-length iFanboy video show will be December 31st on New Year's Eve. Holy cow. So that will be it for the uploads for the full-length show. There will still be mini uploads for a while because there's a lot more of those. We've only been doing one a week. Here's the thing. They upload faster. So smaller files. That's true. As at the end of the very end of the year, we'll have all of our old full length iFanboy video shows uploaded to YouTube if anyone is curious to watch them. You know, I can tell how long ago we did that is that when I had to upload one of those files, it was like an all day affair and I wouldn't even think about it now. Oh, it was 24 hours to upload a show to the distributor, yeah. Revision 3. And if there was any kind of internet hiccup or hit you or problem, you had to start all over. And usually, I, I don't know how you did it, but I did it overnight. So yeah. I wouldn't even be aware that there was a problem until I woke up the next morning. I was like, well, fuck. I just lost eight hours of upload time. Bandwidth was different then. Yeah. Also, we'd probably be better at compressing now, but whatever. Oh, it was all, yeah, it was all a problem. Anyway, this is at the end of the show. If you like the show, please leave a review, a star rating on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, whatever aggregator you use. Even the better that's word of mouth. If people ask you what podcast you listen to, we always appreciate it. People say I fanboy, helping us spread the love around the world. Thank you very much. And that's it for this week's show. I'm Connor. I'm Josh. I'll say statistics and hide the truth. I'll tell your dad anything.